0: Hi, I'm Donna Lu and I'm Jess Maguire, and you're listening to A Grey Matter, the Queensland Brain Institute's neuroscience podcast. This week, we're talking about brain cancer with Dr. Jens Bund.
1: Hi, my name is Jens Bund. I'm from the Netherlands and I'm a research fellow in the laboratory for brain development and disease at the Queensland Brain Institute.
0: And what is your specific research area?
1: Uh, I'm researching how genes that regulate uh, proliferation and differentiation during development are involved in diseases such as brain cancer.
0: For those who aren't familiar with scientific terms, (laughs) what's proliferation and differentiation?
1: Uh, You can see it as that each cell is like a child. In the beginning, it has no job; It can become everything. Uh, but at a certain stage, uh, after it's developed and it had its education, it becomes specialized in a certain job, like either a scientist or a hairdresser or a surgeon. And uh, you can imagine that once you have a certain job, uh, it's really hard to start doing another job. So during development, uh, you first have a lot of cells that can become everything, in our case the brain. So there can be neurons or glia or blood vessel cells. But later on, once they become these cells, they can't uh, uh, get another job. Basically, <laughs> they're stuck in a job for the rest of their life.
0: That's a nice description. That's an excellent analogy. So exactly what is glioblastoma? Is it a cancer or a tumor? And how does that you know, manifest in the brain?
1: Well, it's always quite hard to understand all the terminology. So when we're talking about a tumor uh, that includes all the cancers, so tumors are masses of cells that shouldn't be there, and they can be uh, uh, aggressive, and then we call it uh, a cancer, or they can be just like a mole, uh, uh, not really causing any problems. So in the brain there's about 50 different uh, types which are currently being characterized by uh, pathologists, and they are classified also by how aggressive they are, so how fast they grow, how, how much they can invade, how much they can uh, metastasize. And uh, glioblastoma uh, is the most aggressive of a subgroup called glioma. And they're called glioma because uh, they originate from uh, uh, cells that are called glia, and uh, so some people might not know, but most of the brain actually doesn't exist uh, out of neurons, but of glia, and they do actually everything you can imagine to help the neurons. So they provide all uh, their nutrients, they help with isolating, uh, isolating their signals so they can d- conduct better, they're uh, forming the immune system for the brain, and these cells are not surprisingly uh, the most common source of brain tumors. So about half to a third of all brain tumors that uh, exist arise from these cells. Cleoblastoma uh, is the most aggressive one there. And at the moment, uh, the, uh, after about 15 months uh, after diagnosis, half of the patients uh, died. And the five-year survival is even worse, unfortunately
0: and so the other really terrible thing about glioblastoma is that tends to affect people who are quite young or relatively young is that correct uh
1: it it it, well glioblastoma uh uh, has a age range from basically zero to 100 Uh, but yes there there are some distributions there so uh, uh, brain tumor certain subtypes of brain tumor have a higher incidence at certain ages so we have for instance Uh, medulloblastoma which is more found in children and glioblastoma is the most common cause uh, of uh, uh, death due to a brain tumor in adults.
0: How do you identify if someone has glioblastoma and what are the signs and symptoms?
1: Uh, First of all, I'm not a clinician, so I I can't give you a a, a definite answer. But uh, the problem with brain tumors is they're in the brain. and, And in contrast to, for instance, breast tumors, where on the outside you can... Uh, 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 sometimes see it, but you can also feel it. For brain tumors, it's much harder, and sometimes there's not a direct correlation uh, between the size or the aggressiveness uh, of the precise brain tumor, uh, but it has more to do the symptoms with uh, which area of the brain it arises, and uh, most of the symptoms are due to the tumor pressing on. Uh, other regions. So you can imagine like when you're working in a room and suddenly it gets overcrowded, it's really hard to do your job. So what some people have the kind of symptom is like feeling dizzy, nauseous. Uh, they might have like some uh, problems with moving their hand or with seeing. Some of the problems seems really vague and and, and, and not always uh, straight away indicative. Uh, so most of the time the, the uh, once a patient uh, presents to a surgeon or a doctor. Uh, only after they do the surgery they can really determine what type of tumor it is. And that's also why if you watch those medical televisions on, on programs on television is that they always send straight away a piece to pathology because for managing and treating it's really important how to know and to make decision about the risk. Uh, do I want to Try to cut more away with the risk that I might uh, damage some of the brain. So those are the things that they uh, uh, really want to know, uh, but you can't see from the outside.
0: So to talk about your research specifically, mm-hmm. what's, what's the question that you're trying to answer?
1: Well, there's, there's all kinds of different uh, ways how you can uh, approach a brain tumour uh, uh, I find it still very, very impressive that actually a cell can become a tumor because there's a lot of hurdles that it has to c- overcome. It has to start proliferating and, and without uh, uh, being controlled by the environment. It has to evade the immune system, it has to uh, metastasize. So there's a lot of different steps that a tumor has to undergo. And from uh, in our lab, we're always looking for m- a more developmental, point of view, so these are glia, so they should be trained uh, to do this specific job. So a tumor doesn't have that specific uh, differentiated uh, characteristics anymore, so somewhere down the way it loses it. So we're approaching it from that angle, looking at, OK, if we know how normally these cells become these specialized differentiated cells, uh, and we then look at a tumor, Uh, uh, what happened in the tumour that it didn't differentiate and and how did it lose and how does that contribute to becoming a tumour? So if you look at tumour tissue and compare it to normal glia, you can see that they're far less uh, uh, differentiated. They look like uh, basically as baby glia, very immature.
0: So then in terms of your um, progress as a researcher, was there something that triggered your interest in brain cancer to start with?
1: Well, I, I think when I was doing my undergrad, I was mainly uh, interested in how can we uh, uh, regulate all these very complex processes which makes us from being one single fertilized egg into a very complex organism and especially the brain uh, is very complex and has a a really specific uh, way of developing and when you look at a model such as uh, in glioblastoma when it goes wrong it actually tells you a lot of uh, how it normally should be regulated and uh, uh, if you also look at the, the whole development normally it's actually surprising that There aren't more tumors there. So there's normally a lot of checkpoints, a lot of controls. And by understanding those, you can also understand why uh, a tumor becomes what it becomes. So actually, I'm I'm more almost interested in the history of a tumor. So it's the same as when you're looking, you're watching on television a program about uh, a, a person that committed a crime. Sometimes it's very informative to know what happened to that person to be, get to that stage. Mm -hmm. So that's more what uh, I find interesting. And then to use that information to either help uh, uh, better diagnostics or to maybe find a new treatment for that specific uh, tumour.
0: That's amazing. Um, So I noticed in the media that you've had some support recently from a lovely group of people who did the Ride for Rhonda. So how did this come about and what was the outcome of the Ride for Rhonda?
1: Well, in the uh, field of cancer research, sometimes we're uh, very blessed uh, by getting the support from the public. So in this case, uh, uh, there were three children, uh, the three children of Rhonda, Lewis, Charlie and Daisy, uh, decided that they wanted to do something to honor their mother. So they actually... Uh, Biked all the way from Melbourne, where uh, their mother went to boarding school, uh, via the hometown of Keith to uh, Adelaide. And they did a really uh, amazing job uh, uh, honoring their mother. And a lot of people supported them. So uh, they uh, uh, raised uh, $100,000, which is an amazing amount of money and which we can really use to, to help research forward.
0: For other people who would like to help... Um, and help support the research that you're doing here at the Queensland Brain Institute, Mm -hmm. um, what could they do?
1: Well, there's two options uh, to help. Of course, uh, there's a lot of charities who already raise uh, money for cancer research. But if you uh, directly want to donate to the research that we do here at uh, the Queensland Brain Institute, I would recommend uh, going to our website. And uh, uh, it has on multiple pages, uh, it gives information how to donate money to uh, specifically our cancer research.
0: Thanks for your time, Jens. I'm Donna Lou, And I'm Jess McGaw. And that's all for this episode. If you'd like to know more about glioblastoma and brain cancer, or if you'd like to donate to brain cancer research here at the Queensland Brain Institute, please visit qbi.uq.edu.au and click on the donate button. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook, or you could give us a review on iTunes. Thanks, thanks, thanks for listening. listening.